0: Thank you for being here. I sure hope, before I forget this, hope you have a great new year. Look forward to seeing you Sunday and all that the Lord's going to do for us this year. Well, I've invited some of our preachers to preach here tonight. Brother David Aldridge is coming. Brother David's a good man. He, he uh, heads up our bus ministry here, helps me tremendously each and every Sunday uh, with our bus ministry. I appreciate Brother David, his family, and the blessing and the asset that they've been to our church. He's going to bring our first message for us. Got your Bible? Hold it up high, and let's get all that the Lord has for in this service
1: tonight. Thank you. Let's take our Bibles turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. We're going to look at one verse for the sake of time here tonight. I love the book of 1 Thessalonians. It's my favorite book in the entire Word of God. This is one of the books that I try to tell, you know, all the little kids and and teenagers that get saved on the other end of the building. This is one of the books, one of the first books that I encourage them to read. This is a book that's, of course, it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the First Thessalonica Baptist Church, a church that he had started and had to abruptly leave because of all the threats that was being made against him. And he had sent his protege, of course, Timothy, to check on the church. He was curious about this church. And he sent him to find out what things were going on in this church. And Timothy came back with a good-sounding words from this church. It was nothing but good news for this church and how they was doing. And Paul was so excited that he decided to send them a letter. And in this letter, it's got some of the most uh, verses that just blow your mind if you really sit down and read and really study these verses. It's easy to understand. That's why I like for people to read this chapter, one of the first chapters that they read as a new Christian. Anyone can understand this chapter. But there's a verse in chapter number 5, verse number 18, that has became my favorite verse in all the Bible. Jeremiah 33.3, 3, for many years, ever since I was saved at 16, has been my favorite verse. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Still one of my top verses that I love is probably a close second. But about 10 years ago, after I accepted my call to preach, God gave me this verse. And it has literally changed my life. It's changed my outlook on life. It's changed my outlook on Christianity. And if you found your place there in one Thessalonians chapter number five and verse number eighteen, and it says this: "In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." If you have a pen, I encourage you there to underline or underscore the words "everything." Do you want to know what the will of God is concerning you tonight? In everything, give thanks. This has been one difficult, complicated year. This has been a year in which you and I will soon never forget. This is the year that everyone I've heard talk about 2020 has been the year that everyone wants to hurry up and get through. Even back in March and April and May and June, you heard people saying these words, I cannot wait until this year is done. I cannot wait until we can move in to 2021. I think of all the bad things that have happened this year. One of the main things that we focused on this year has been COVID-19, the pandemic that struck us back in March. It's turned our world upside down. There's been things that have done to this to, uh, to the world and to this universe, to, to the United States of America that we've never seen ever before. Certainly here in the United States, we've never hardly ever experienced anything like this. It made it into something bigger maybe than what it was, but it's something that I have never experienced and most of you have never experienced before. It's turned a lot of financial problems and situations upon people. There have been people that have lost jobs because businesses have had to shut down. There's been financial ruin inside of the homes of many people. As we sit here today, you may walk in here with a smile on your face, but deep down inside, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of anger going on inside today. I think about all the other things that the, these problems have caused. I've seen, I've seen ruin within families. I've seen this be a hard time with different marriages in our lives today. You know, when problems are brought into homes, it affects everything and everyone. And when it involves everyone, it affects things wanting to split. Hey, if the devil can ruin the family, he can ruin everything. If he can start with the family and get just one person out of the way, he can ruin an entire family, he can ruin the church, and he can ruin the world. And that's what he's attempted to do in this year that we've had. We've had people that's gotten sick by this. There's been people that have gotten sick that their lives will never be the same. There's been people placed in hospitals on ventilators because they could not breathe. There's been people that have been placed in hospitals on ventilators. They've been told by doctors to the family that they may never make it through. There's been people that have passed away. Over 380,000 people have passed away in the United States alone from COVID-19. Those are some bad things. There's many bad things that have happened besides that. This COVID-19, this pandemic has turned our worlds upside down. But then you think about other things. We think about the lost loved ones of everyone that's here tonight. I think about the ones that we've had to bury. We've buried husbands, and we've buried wives, and we've buried sons, and we've buried daughters. Those are difficult times in our life. Those are things that you will soon never ever get over in 2020. We're just ready to move on. Here tonight, probably people will stand up here and talk about what things we need to do different in 2021. But according to the Bible, according to this verse I've just read, let me pose this question to you here tonight. How can we move on to 2021 without first thanking God for 2020? Oh, it's so easy to praise God when things are good. When we're up on the mountaintop, it's so easy. It makes it so simple to go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, it's so easy at nighttime to kneel down by the bedside and thank God that your bills are paid. Thank God that you got a roof over your head. Thank God that your family's still together. It's so easy to pray and bow your head for that meal that's on your table when anything and everything that you want is there. But I'm here to tell today there's more things to thank God for than the good things. In everything give thanks. How can we move on tonight to another year without first thanking God for the year in which he has given us? Those words says in everything. That's the good things and that's the bad things. God didn't say in the good things, give thanks. He said in everything, give thanks. That means we must give thanks for this pandemic. That means we must give thanks for maybe the financial ruin that's been on our household this year. That means to give thanks for that lost loved one. That means to give thanks for everything. But how can we move on without first giving God thanks for this year that he's given us? I think of a man named the Apostle Paul and a man named Silas. In Acts chapter 16, we read the story about these two men. They were beaten by the magistrates, and they were told to throw these two men into jail for simply being a good Christian. They went into the jail, and the Philippian jailer was told by the magistrates, I want you to put them there, and I want you to protect them and keep them safe. So what does he do? He throws them back in the inner chamber, the inner jail. That's back in the furthest part of the jail to make sure there's going to be no escapes, to make sure that everything is going to be okay. He throws them back in the darkest part of the jail cell. We find that because after the earthquake went around, he got a light and went back to the inner cell. We know it was the deepest and darkest part of the jail cell. They took them back there and they chained their feet. we put shackles on their feet so they couldn't move around easily. As these men sat there, I can imagine tonight that there was probably rats the size of dogs out there in the jail cell with them. I can imagine many, many bugs that would make their skin crawl that was crawling around those men in that deepest, darkest dungeon. But the Bible says something happened. The Bible says that at midnight, old Paul looks over to Silas and says, Hey, boy, do you feel like praying? And the Bible says they took off to praying. And then when they got through praying, old Paul looks at Silas and says, Do you think we need to sing? And old Silas says, Yeah, I believe we need to sing. And they took off singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That's one savior a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. T'was blind, but now I see. The Bible says these men begin to pray. The Bible says these men begin to sing. Can I tell you what they was doing in times of their trouble? Instead of fretting about what's going to happen tomorrow, they was concentrating about what was happening then. They said, let's pray and let's sing other words in everything. Give thanks. That's what these men did. But it encourages my heart what happened after they give praise. The Bible talks about an earthquake coming. And that earthquake opened up the jail cell doors. At that time, that old jailer woke up out of his sleep. he seen all the jail cell doors opened. He thought to himself, I'm a dead man now. Everyone has escaped. They'll have my head. Instead of them having his head, what he did was take out his sword and get ready to stab himself. And I lo and behold, a voice from the inner cell said, wait a minute, we're still here. That old Philippian jailer took back through there with a light... He went back there and he seen that old Paul and Silas was still there inside that jail cell. And he said these words, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Can I tell you what happened from a little bit of praising that day? A Philippian jailer got saved. Not only that, he went home, he took them boys with him, and his whole household got saved. And after they got through with that, bless God, they didn't wait a week. They didn't wait a month. They didn't wait six months. They went out right then and got baptized. That's what happens when we praise him in the bad times. I think of a man named Job. In Job chapter 1, we find the man that God called was a great man. Had more than anyone else in that time. He blessed him because he was a devout man. He was a just man. And God loved this man named Job. You know the story. The devil comes along to God and said, He's only doing this because of what you blessed him with. And God said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you go and take a hold of this boy, and I'll let you do whatever you want to him. You just can't kill Job. The devil takes off, and he takes everything that he has, all his possessions. He had seven sons and three daughters. He killed them. He took everything that Job had. But there in verse number 20, in chapter number 1 there of Job, the Bible says after he heard that he had lost all these things, that he hit the ground and he began to worship. You know what he said to himself? He said, "At everything, give thanks. At everything, give thanks. Yes, I've lost everything today. Yes, I've lost my sons and my daughters and my family. I have nothing anymore. But here's what he said. I understand that God's still in control. I understand that God is still on the throne, and I trust God. Whatever he says goes. Can I just tell you tonight, church, I know it's been a bad year, but nothing, absolutely nothing will ever happen without God's permission. That's God. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know, I wonder how many people tonight Before we close out this year, just needs to gather around this altar and hit the ground. Maybe there's some jail cells laying around this altar that you just need to come up and just thank him for this year. I understand it's been hard. It's been difficult. Everyone I talk to says the same thing. I'm barely standing. I'm barely hanging on. But can I just say, God still loves you, and God is still in control. He still loves this church, and he wants to see this church move forward. But first and only first, we must praise him. In everything. Give thanks.
0: Well, ouch. Right? Ouch. How true that is, how hard that is. But I sure appreciate that. Boy, I tell you what, maybe if we get back to more praising as Brother David preached, more people be getting saved. They believe what we said. Uh, if we'd uh, if we just praise the Lord, thank you so much, brother. Uh, brother Shannon York is going to sing our first special for us tonight, and then brother Randy, brother Randy Davis, will come and bring our second message here for us. That's an old one, isn't it? I remember them singing that when I was growing up. Contemporary. Indeed. (laughs) Wasn't that a blessing? Well, those two, Brother David's message and that song, just, man, just went right together. And I appreciate that so much. Thank you, Brother Shannon. I appreciate Brother Randy Davis, Miss Lisa, and Carrie and Kendra. They have been a real blessing, an asset to our church since they came here. Love them very dearly. Brother Randy assists Brother Don as the teacher over the ambassador's class. and Miss Lisa teaches on uh, the teen girl classes and uh, a good family. Brother Randy's going to come bring our second message for us now. And uh, I'm sure he's got a good word from God. You give a listen as he preaches for
2: us. Good evening, church. I hope you're doing good. Amen. Yeah. Now, listen, I only got 10 minutes, so you got to help me, okay? For those of you that don't know, I'm also a teacher, so whenever I speak, I like seeing eyeballs that I'm speaking to, okay? So I hope this don't bother you. I, I'm probably going to be down here with you. If that does bother you, you make sure you take that complaint straight to the pastor, okay? Take your Bibles. I want you to find two different places, one in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 29. And then once you find that, hold your place there and go to the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. So you've got two places you're looking for. The first one's Jeremiah chapter 29. The second one is Romans chapter 8. Thank you for the opportunity, preacher. I don't take this lightly. It's been uh, uh, over a month since I preached, so I'm about to bust. Uh, so I'll try my best to keep it under an hour, okay? As you're trying to find your place, let's pray. Ask God to help us. And as I pray, will you do this? Will you ask God to clear your mind and open your heart for the truth that He's about to share to all of us, okay? Will you do that? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. God, I pray that as this truth is proclaimed, God, that you'd use it to encourage your people. God, I pray that if there's one within the sound of my voice that does not know you, God, that today would be the day that you set them free. God, don't let any of us leave this place the same way we walked in. We sure do love you. Thank you so much for salvation. And thank you so much for the fact that I can't mess that up. We'll be sure to give you all the praise and the glory in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said amen, amen and amen. You remember the story. We'll get to Jeremiah. You remember the story back in Genesis of a man named Abraham and his wife, Sarah. We're going to be here a while if y'all don't start participating now. And you remember, God made a covenant with Abraham. Do you remember that? He said that his seed would inherit this earth. So many that they couldn't be numbered. Do you remember? And several years after God told Abraham that, um, Abraham and Sarah still had not had a child. So what did Abraham do? He did a lot of what you and I do. He took matters into his own hands. How many of you can agree with me? And I know from personal experience, when you take matters in your own hands, you make it a mess. Hello? And we know that he he had a, a a child with by another woman by the name of Ishmael. And by the way, if you're looking for an origin, a starting point of why there's such a mess in the Middle East, that's the reason why. Time goes on, though, and... At the century mark of Abraham's life, could you imagine, preacher, the first time you're a parent about 100 years old? He has a child. He looks like he's 100 years old. No, no, I'm just kidding. He won't ever let me preach in this church again. They have a child. And then by the time you get to Genesis chapter 22, God speaks to Abraham again. And he tells him, I want you to take that child that I give you and I want you to go to a certain place and I want you to offer him to me as a sacrifice. How many of you remember that? Shake your head up and down so I know you're breathing and alive, yeah? So it's amazing when you read that story, we don't have any record that Abraham started questioning what God had told him. He didn't get on the local telephone and start calling his brothers and say, hey, I need you to help me pray about something. Here's what happened. He got clear and direct orders from God Almighty, and the Bible says the very next morning, he got up and started to do what God had told him to do. Well, you and I'd do well if we followed Abraham's uh, life right there, wouldn't we? So you read on, and... And this journey where he's supposed to go takes three days to get there. You can imagine. I mean, I think we look at Abraham a lot of times and we think of him as a super saint. Let me help you. Abraham was a man. And if you think that he enjoyed the thought of having to offer up Isaac, you got a warped brain. But he gets to that place, and I don't want you to miss this. He gets to that place where God told him to offer him up. And he's there, and he looked at the men that went with him, and he said, me and the, my boy are going to go on this mountaintop, and we're going to worship. He actually said, we're going to go yonder. He'd be a good southerner. Hello? You don't believe me? Read it. Genesis chapter 22. That's why he said, go yonder. We're going to go yonder. I'm from the big town of Boonville, so I understand that terminology. I know you all emphasize county, but you all still southerners. Hello? We're going to go yonder and worship. And you know what he said? Yeah, he said, we will, Brother Bobby, come again. We will come again. I don't think Abraham had all the answers, but I fully believe that Abraham intended to go on that mountaintop, and he did do that. He built that altar. He bound his son, and he was ready to sacrifice his son. And I fully think, I believe that Abraham thought that God would bring his son back to life. But here's here's the thing that I was, as I was studying this one day that God showed me. Long before they had started this three-day trip, long before God had told Abraham to offer Isaac, God had birthed a deliverer for Isaac in the form of a ram. There's no way Abraham could have known as he started up that mountain that Isaac's substitute was starting to climb on the backside of the mountain. Amen. Could I say it like this? Isaac's salvation was on the way up the backside of that mountain. There's many ways that our Bible talks about the Christian walk. I'm particularly like the way Jeremiah describes it and where I've told you to go to. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse number 11. I love this verse. If you mark in your Bible, I would highly encourage you to mark and underline this this verse. Commit it to memory. Here's what it says. It's God talking to Jeremiah. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Look at me. You know what we see right there? God Almighty, the one that created everything, thinks. He has thoughts. You see that? And whenever God thinks, who does or what does he think about? He thinks about you and he thinks about me. That ought to make a dried-up Baptist shout. Yeah. That the God that created everything would think about you and I. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. i do it for you. You say, preacher, how do you know this is God talking? For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. I get tired of hearing, I can't understand that King James Bible. Yeah. Read it. Hmm? And then he goes on to say what those thoughts are. Thoughts of, say that next word, church, peace and not evil. And then watch this. To give you an expected end. To give you an expected end. What God was telling Jeremiah is what he's telling you and I. That expected end that you and I have is not an end that's supposed to be uh, gone to in misery. And that end is more than just whenever this heartbeat beats for its last time. That end is a a compilation of the day that you said yes to Jesus Christ all the way to the last time your heart beats and step out into eternity. And if you start looking at that word expected in the Hebrew, it comes from a, a Hebrew word that literally means a cord C O R D. It carries the thought of binding together, attaching to someone. It's God making us more like Himself. That's what this Christian walk is about. It's being more like Jesus. Jesus is that court. He is that expected end. Not a, it's an end that's full of hope. I'm thankful about that, aren't y'all? Not an end full of misery and destruction. He's working everything that expected in for our good. I don't know about y'all, but that sounds to me a lot like a New Testament teaching. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, are you there? Verse number 28, you could quote this verse. And we know that all things, wait just a minute, and we know, not we don't have to speculate, Not, we may know, we don't have to worry. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Do you know what that little three-letter word all means in the Greek? Means all. All of it works together. For good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Look at that next verse. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Look at verse 30. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. That's that expected end that God was telling Jeremiah back in in the Old Testament. And then Paul wraps it up, the very next verse. What shall we say then to these things? Whether there's a pandemic in the next year, Whether there's a nutcase in the White House. Whether you have good health or poor health. Whether Satan throws everything he can at you or not. Whether or not this world hates you, and it does. This is what God said. Look. Romans chapter 8, verse number 31. "If God be for us, yes. look at me, church, He be for us. Yes. Amen. Some of you need to get a hold of that. God is for you. Yes sir Say it with me, then who can be against me?) Amen. Hmm? I didn't say that. Well, that's what God said. Amen. Some of you've been on this journey. And you look like you've got it all together on the outside, but on the inside, man, you're tired. If you've been in ministry any length of time, you quit a thousand times. God, I ain't doing this no more. You took so many steps. You've went through so much, and if truth be known, you're ready to stop. You've had enough. I want to encourage you that tonight, every step that you take, the answer to your question, the solution to your problem is one step closer with every step you take towards God. I want to encourage you tonight, remind you that you have an expected end. It's an end that's been ordered by God Almighty. Don't give up. Don't quit. We're closer to our home for eternity than we've ever been. Now's not the time to shut up. Now's the time, more than ever, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus will still save anybody that'll say, "God save me." You haven't expected in.
0: Thank you so much. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? And praise the Lord for that, I'm glad we got something to look forward to. Amen. Thank you so much, brother Randy. Brother uh, Bobby Westmerland and Miss Morgan is coming to sing our special force here tonight, right before our final preacher. And so, if y'all will come on and be prepared, get ready for.
3: this little song here a while back, and I've asked two or three people to sing it, and uh, nobody sung it, so the Lord just said, why don't you sing it? I said, all right, Lord, I will, so if it ain't gonna count, if you don't like it, talk to him about it, all right? <laughs> if Jesus comes tomorrow to spend some time with you, would you answer all his questions or lie to hide the truth? Would you welcome him with open arms or even let him in? If Jesus comes tomorrow, what then? If Jesus calls your number, could you leave today? Are you ready to lay down your worldly goods and walk away? Would you take a month of Sundays just to tell him of your sin. If Jesus comes tomorrow, what then? If the sky sky turns turns black black as midnight midnight in the middle middle of of the day, day, and somehow you knew that Jesus would soon be on his way, would you have have to beg forgiveness Or could you reach out and take his hand? If Jesus comes tomorrow, what then? If the sky turns black as midnight in the middle of the day, and somehow you knew that Jesus would soon be on his way, would you have to beg forgiveness Or could you reach out and take his hand? If Jesus comes tomorrow, what then? If Jesus comes tomorrow, what then? Amen.
0: All right. Thank you all so much. Boy, that's a question, isn't it? And it may not even be tomorrow. It may be tonight. And, boy, we better be ready to go. Amen. I appreciate Brother Alan Hutchins. Many of our old-timers remember Brother Alan from years and years ago. And I appreciate the Lord bringing him back into our church fellowship once again. And uh, he and I have been out soul-winning together, and we've uh, had some good fellowship. And I sure appreciate his his good spirit about it. he's going to come and bring our final message for us here tonight. Brother Alan, God bless you. Let's grab our Bibles. Let's get what Brother Alan has for us here tonight, what the Lord has for us.
4: I'm on page 1235, I know you want to know that, and so I'll tell you, 1235, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I uh, normally preach like a, a train, that is, I uncouple when the time runs out, so I see what time it is by the clock on the wall. And I know how much time I was allowed, and I, if I can be reminded in my own mind to look, and if I don't, somebody wave at me. I may think you're shouting, but I'll be reminded of the clock. Let's pray before we look at uh, these verses, beginning, I think, with verse 8 of chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians. Father, In these short, short minutes, and at this end of the year, and after these good messages by these good men of God, these good songs, may, Father, our ears be tuned to Thee, may my tongue be controlled by Thee. I want to hear from Thee, Lord. We need to hear not from me, but from Thee. And so our ears are ready. We yield to thee best we know how. Control us, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Second Corinthians is a far nicer letter than First Corinthians. Paul really had some things to work out in 1 Corinthians. We don't have time to talk about that, but he'll bring it up in this chapter in these verses. Uh, but every 10 years, they say, In a local church, you can just about mark it down, every 10 years in the life of a local church, leadership is challenged. I don't like that idea. I didn't make up that statistic. I don't like that statistic. But those who study statistics more than I do uh, have said that historically, every 10 years, leadership is challenged in the local church. Well, Paul's part in the leadership and establishment of the church at Corinth is being challenged. They're questioning his leadership at this juncture in the writing of 2 Corinthians. Now, that letter of 1 Corinthians was a mean one. And he says here in verse 8 of chapter 7, for though I made you sorry with a letter, that's First uh, Corinthians, I do not repent, though I did repent. What in the world does that mean? Uh, I, I don't repent, though I did. Do you think a pastor enjoys? Do you think a church founder enjoys? Do you think any church leader enjoys laying out his people? skinning their hides no but it has to be done it has to be done and it certainly had to be done in first corinthians we won't talk about the particulars we'll mention them in a minute but there were terrible things that were going on more than one thing or two things or three things going on and that church could have rejected that letter outright and said, we're not going to take that from him. We're going to ignore him. What right does he have to tell us those things? He had every right to tell him him those things. Paul did not choose his words. The Holy Ghost did. Now, we preachers today, we can't claim inspiration. No matter how much we would like to, we can't claim inspiration on our words. But we'd better, we had better be sure that we've laid ourselves out before God and got the heart of God and the love for the people and the mind of the Holy Spirit before we start laying out the people. I've seen preachers be mean for being mean's sake. And we need to speak the truth in love. But that, that's another message. Paul admits right here, and the Holy Ghost lets him. He says, though I made you sorry, remember that word sorry, with a letter, I do not repent, I, 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 I don't regret it, though at first I did regret it. I didn't want to do it. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry. There's that word again. Though it were but for a season. Now, verse 9, I rejoice. Not that ye were made sorry. There's that word again. But that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. To be sorry is not enough. A lot of our professions today are merely folks being sorry. My sin caught up with me. Somebody caught up with me. My wife caught up with me. My husband caught up with me. I lost my job. Think I'll go to the altar and repent. And that's as far as it goes. We repent because we're sorry we got caught up with terrible grammar, but pretty good theology right there. And we are ignorant enough that we accept that as godly, repentance. And Paul is going to define what godly repentance is. I remember when I was 17 and 18 years old, my first year at Bob Jones University. If you know anything about Bob Jones, you know the name Ian Paisley. And Ian Paisley was in and out of Bob Jones all the time. And he he preached that year at Bible conference. And he said, young preacher boys. And I can't talk like he could, but he said, you young preacher boys, I want you to know that the preaching of repentance is altogether necessary. And he told us why. And he said it is neglected in this day. And he showed us how. And he said, I want you to obligate yourselves tonight to the Lord, not to him, nor to Bob Jones University, but to the Lord that you will not neglect in your ministry the preaching of the blessed doctrine of repentance. For there are many who will preach faith, but who will ignore repentance. And I, that night, was so moved. I remember that night. Freddie Daniel was there. You all know Freddie Daniel. He was there that night. too. We stood that night. And we obligated ourselves before God that we would not neglect the doctrine of repentance. And I hope I have not failed the Lord in in my ministry in doing that. For Paul said that is absolutely necessary. Look at it again, verse 8. Though I made you sorry with that letter, I don't repent. Though I did repent, verse 9, now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but it. Went a step further. You sorrowed to repentance. And that's a change of mind. It changed your way of thinking. Now, if I just weep because I got in trouble, that doesn't change my way of thinking. That just gets me off the hook this time. Sets me up for the next time. Well, I'll have the church on my side next time. Yeah. But a godly sorrow means that it changes my way of thinking from the inside. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. Isn't that interesting? He said, It didn't damage you for me to talk to you that way. It didn't damage you. No harm done. If you forget everything I've said so far, remember this. Can you trust God enough to know that he loves you enough that though he may hurt you deeply, he will never harm you? Can I say that again? Though he may hurt you deeply, he will never harm you. May I give you a quick, quick Illustration of that. We have dear friends in the hospital now, and some of them have surgeries. You've had surgeries. Some are facing surgeries. And those surgeries are necessary, and they are dangerous, and they are hurtful, and they're hard to get over. But what's worse is ignoring and neglecting the surgery. To neglect the surgery produces harm. The surgery produces hurt, which heals. To neglect the surgery produces harm, which never heals. God may hurt me deeply. Don't you peddle a namby-pamby God. We hear it said all the time, God won't put that on me. God won't put more on me. Hey. If God didn't put more on you than you could stand, you'd never realize that you needed to go to him. Shall I say that again? I think I hit home with some people. If God had never put more on me than I could bear, I'd never known that I needed him. And he does it even still to let me know I need him still today. Well, I have one minute to go and I'd better hurry. Verse 10. For godly sorrow, here it is, godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. And this I remind you, though I'm talking to lost and saved people, this was written to a church to save people. You say, were they lost and getting saved again? No, Paul said this church was in danger of going under. It had a poor testimony, and I had to save this church. The church was allowing sin in the camp, and I had to save this church. And you had to realize that it was not, and here was what he's talking about, it was not just the fact that a, a boy had, to, had illicit relationship with his stepmother, and his dad had been offended, and you had allowed it. Read of it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But there was a bigger principle it is the fact that you had allowed it and were doing nothing about it. And that's why it endangered the whole church, and discipline had to be carried out for the sake of the testimony of the church and of the Savior. I've had that come up in my ministry where I had to carry out discipline. I don't like to do that. I didn't want to do it, but it had to be done. But look at that definition, and I must be quiet. I won't finish this passage. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. That means... It sticks. It sticks. It doesn't mean you won't lapse. Thank God for that, because I sure have lapsed, And you have too. But it sticks. I'm going to get myself in trouble. You knew I would before I got up here, didn't you? You know, that verse you like to quote so much, well, both of them in Romans 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and the other one, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We think if we hear them say it one time, they're in. And I've heard so many people say it one time, and then the next time I hear them using the Lord's name, they're not using it like they were using it the other time. Do you know what that means? And we don't hear this, do we? That means the person who really calls on the name of the Lord makes a habit of calling on the name of the Lord. That's what that scripture is saying. Do you make a habit of calling on the name of the Lord? When when the Lord saved me, it became the habit of my life. It stuck, brother. It stuck, and I've lapsed. But when I've lapsed, I've gone to my lawyer and he's he's handled my case. It stuck. We had an illustration tonight and I thank the Lord for the couple or three, as the pastor indicated, that have realized they didn't have the goods and now they got the real thing and how much happier they are. Because you get the real thing, it'll stick. It'll stick. And you, I don't want you to be happy until you get what will stick. You say, Alan, do you want us to doubt? Yeah. Yeah, I want you to doubt. If you've got something you can doubt, doubt it as long as you can doubt it until you can't doubt anymore and get it settled. Is that treason? Is that treason? If that's treason, as Dr. Stitler used to say, make the most of it. I doubted for years. I can say that because I doubted for years when I was a child. But God had had accepted me. I didn't accept him. He accepted me. And I was slow to see that God had accepted me. But my repentance was unto salvation. And thank God it took and it stuck. Father, thank thee for thy truth for thy repentance, for godly sorrow that doesn't just weep crocodile tears, but it leads to a change of mind and repentance, true repentance. Let us not neglect godly repentance. In the name of Jesus, amen.
0: Thank God for something that sticks, amen, amen. Let's stand together all over the house tonight and uh you know last last invitation